0: box. Out of the box. Meet
1: people through their music.
0: With Ash Bertabez on FBI.
2: Well, happy midday. It's a delightful Thursday. It's some unpredictable weather out there, but uh, all through it, this morning, Stephen has been keeping you company with some great tunes and to check them all out and find those ones that really stuck out to you, you can go on to fbiradio.com and check out the programs and playlist page. He puts them all up there. Good of him. And uh, today we have someone who, I mean, who would have guessed that a young guy from regional Victoria, a self-professed nerd, would dump his law degree and head to the big city with his best friend to make radio, spending over a thousand breakfasts bringing funnies and music to the ears of young folk all over Australia. It's Tom Ballard on Out of the Box today, back in his natural habitat, the radio station. <laughs> and uh, but I take it this one is nowhere near as swanky as the one that you've been in for the past few years.
1: Oh, this has its own particular charm. I yeah. love the FBI radio studios. Yeah, and you feel the great. heart and soul and the indie cred in the walls. <laughs> you can you can smell it.
2: And you, you, you can, can smell, smell the, the kale, indicator.
1: and you can smell the Joanna Newsom. <laughs> I love it.
2: I totally had kale this morning. Oh! You've picked it.
1: Good nose. <laughs> Thank you very much. All
2: right. So you've, I mean, indie cred. You know, you've got some of that. I've seen the tunes that you're going to bring in today. Can you oh, give great. us a kind of a, a bit of an idea of what we're going to going to have coming at us this morning?
1: Oh, look. I tried. I initially you asked me to, to put together a bunch of songs, and initially the list was you know very diverse to show all the the range of listic or me trying very hard to sound like a well rounded individual. And I thought, nah, screw it. I'm just going to choose songs that I love dealy that mean a lot to me and they're all they're all they're all faggy, indie queer. Moving emotion songs.
2: Tom Ballard pouring his queer heart out on the <laughs> that's radio not a good today. Hook, is
1: it? Don't the, <laughs> don't change the dial. It's really good. They're all really good.
2: For starters, we've got Midlake. So that's not too indie queer. No, you know, is that even a genre? It's not a genre.
1: It's it's arty filly. This The Trials of Van Panther is a perfect album, and I could sing it for you in full right now if you'd like me to. But uh,
2: for next hour we've got Tom Ballard singing, just singing
1: <laughs> in full. That'd be amazing. Uh, right. yeah, no, this this song is is everything. It makes me happy every time I hear it.
2: All right, on FBI ninety four point five.
3: for those trees, let us hope they're kind to you and me Let us hope, let us hope they have enough Winter comes, it sure is rough Maybe they'll welcome us We won't ask much, but the Russians will know
2: In the Hillside by Midlake on FBI ninety four point five. Brought in by my guest today, Tom Ballard.
1: Oh, hello. Hello. Thanks for having me on. It Hope everyone liked that song. A pleasure.
2: And thank you for bringing that truck on. Uh, no worries. So you just tweeted before you came on air oh, here yes. to your millions and millions of followers <laughs> that you're here to make your life sound interesting.
1: Well, let's pretend. Let's at least try to see. You know, pretend there's a story here. <laughs> um, you know, hopefully, the, you know people will agree and will enjoy. The, the sweet stories and insights from from my uh, my life, yes.
2: But really, what do you mean by like make your life sound interesting? I mean, you've been doing the breakfast show for a few years on Triple J. I mean, that's a pretty high flying role, and and doing comedy. What do you mean about making your well, life sound interesting? There's,
1: there's not a lot of hardship. Very middle class, and you know, I mean, you hear some some of these you know long form interviews on radio, and, and people will be like, yeah. And then so I got out of the the rehab, and then fell back into heroin, and had a three way with a. Midget and then uh, then won the lottery and then lost it all on a on a oh, gambling mm. debt. You know what I mean? I got nothing like that. I, yeah, i to let you know.
2: I wouldn't suggest you know dabbling in drugs and and midget threesomes just for fun to make yourself sound more interesting. It would but make I mean, this a
1: like, lot more interesting. Yeah,
2: maybe you're just bored by your own life, but it is interesting <laughs> to everyone else. Okay, great, that great. Let's it. go with that. So you grew up in Warnamble. Am I sounding, saying that right?
1: Warnambul. Wanambo. What yes. What is it
2: like growing up there as a, as a young gay man?
1: Well, I wasn't a young gay man for most of the time I was there. I was, I was, young, I was straight. I was like, ladies, ladies are great, aren't they, everyone? That's what I told everyone anyway, or pretended. I convinced myself I was waiting for the right girl for a long time. But it is a lovely coastal uh, seaside town. It's about 30,000 people. And, uh, you know, it's right on the beach. And so it's a big uh, tourist town during the summer. You know, during the summer, people who live in Warrnambool will go down to the caravan park and live in the caravan park for, for almost the whole month. <laughs> So And then we'll just duck back home to like do their washing. It's the weirdest thing that people would holiday in the town they live in.
2: So you wouldn't do that?
1: I, we would never You're do that. You were above that? that? We were, well, I, I don't think we had a camper trailer. Or I used to go stay with friends were staying down there. and There's a nice vibe there because everyone is there and it's hot and you, you can walk to the beach in, in two seconds. So that's lovely. And uh, Wanderbilt was a lovely place to grow up, but, you know, towards the end of my high school and when I get towards 17, 18, when I'm realising that, you know, I want to do creative stuff, I would like to act and I'd like to write and I'd like to do comedy, I'm kind of looking at the clock a bit because I'm thinking I've got to maybe get out of here and move to Melbourne and, and do something else, I think, because as lovely as Warrnambool is to, to grow up as a kid, yeah, there's not a lot going on. Yeah. culture. That might be changing a lot now and there are some cool stuff. As you find a lot of like regional country places in Australia, there's this awesome local art scene because the people who get into it get into it so much and they're not exactly spoiled for choice as you might be in the city. So, um, I love that. There's some cool stuff that one yeah, to Yeah, harder to
2: get jaded I guess.
1: Yeah, totally. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and there's a much more lovely supportive environment. A place like Horsham in Country Victoria, I don't know if anyone listening has been there but there is just this amazing visual art scene there that's really great so uh but yeah if you want to be a stand-up comedian you probably need to be in in at least yeah melbourne or sydney maybe brisbane if you can do it but yeah that's yeah, the plan
2: makes sense and i, sp- I guess especially if you're doing a, a quite specific kind of comedy it's not <laughs> yes. like you're gonna find enough people to fill a venue in a country town
1: <laughs> yeah there's no queer comedy night in, in one. <laughs> that's a very niche and crowd why on earth not yes
2: and so, you know, as a creatively learning person, then you decided to do law at Monash. Did you actually get into that degree before you end up leaving? Or?
1: Yeah, I did. I did. I sort of, you know, I, I did well at school because I didn't do maths or science in year 12. So I just did all the, uh, the artsy the <laughs> Me too. Oh, yeah. High five.
2: Everything's
0: an essay. Oh,
1: yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> you Essays. You're good at one thing. Philosophy, language. Yeah. Language that'll bump Truly. your score up. So I got this score, and then at the end of that year, I I, just, I took a year off, a gap year, where I moved moved to Melbourne and and, I, and started doing some uh, some radio stuff with Triple J, and then uh, two thousand nine, I you know had this course, I had a, a scholarship uh, to do a uh, law at Monash and was... scholarship? Good. Wow, you're a smart oh, cookie. Well, from the country as well, they they oh, okay. a lot of money to <laughs> to the bumpkins. It's, it's the
2: pity scholarship
1: <laughs> and some teeth, you know, you some <laughs> money and some teeth to go to university. <laughs> Uh, which is very nice, and then um, and I, I quite enjoyed the course, and I have a lot of respect for people who do law, and I would love to you know actually commit to a tertiary education and, and finish something in in the future and i'd love learning and I would love to do more more reading and not just you know watch um Watch, you know Parks and Rec at, at nauseam on uh, Netflix. I'd like to get into something a bit more media at some point, but it was just a point where I was doing radio and stand up at the same time, and I just could not balance all those things. So I uh, had to make a call.
2: All right, well, we'll talk a bit more like about that in a second. If anyone has any you... law questions,
1: I did six weeks, so, so I got most of it. <laughs> Don't murder people. The Queen's important. Um, you learnt
2: the Ten Commandments, Ten Commandments and, and yep. colonial stuff. And yeah, then yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, 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 or something, I don't know, <laughs> whatever. But <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah i got most of it.
2: Alright, in a second we'll come back to that and we've got the no-johns now. Why the no-johns?
1: Oh, so when I moved to Melbourne I went into the share house in, uh, in North Carlton and uh, <laughs> I think of it now and it was just such... A first Melbourne sharehouse experience. I was living with bin diving freegans, um <laughs> who were into circus acts, and they were lovely people, though my friends and I really had a great time in that house. But it was falling apart, and the couch was crappy, and there were fights in between the housemaids because someone hadn't cleaned up the disgusting kitchen. And I was learning oh, all how sounds to cook. So familiar. It's classic, you know. Yeah. And so this one girl came in, and she was uh, she was a uh, she was British. She was a vegan uh, punk rock enthusiast, and um, I just found her fascinating. She was so different to anything I'd experienced and she introduced me to the No Johns and I just really like this song, Harsh Realm... Yeah, chill out, everyone.
2: That was a fun one.
1: It was really funny. That's the punk I can handle. I can't (laughs) handle the screamy, angry stuff. I can handle the stuff with a sense of humor. Yeah, I love it. You know, what is it? In my life, I've seen a lot of stupid shit, but the stupidest shit was people getting all worked up about it. I like that.
2: What a beautiful line. Yeah, they're great. I'm going to frame that and put it over my desk.
1: It's no Johns without a H, I think. N-O-J-O-N-S, if people want to check them out. All
2: right. On FBI 94.5, that guy you just hear across from me is Tom Ballard. Hey. Tom, you may know from doing Breakfast with Tom and Alex on Triple J. Why
1: would you Why would you know me from that? Surely you're listening to the FBI Breakfast radio show every and day. And if
2: you do know him from that, you're a traitor <laughs> and I hate you. So...
1: birdie boo. Sell out. Sell <laughs> out.
2: Alright. Yeah, and you should be listening to, to Breakfast or Up For It with Georgia Hitch, if you're if you're the right kind of person with some more indie jams, some weirder stuff of your nah, morning. Carl Jackio for me.
1: Yeah. It's Absolutely. Whipper every day.
2: <laughs> oh, you podcast that I can tell. Yep. I went through your iTunes before. <laughs> and so you you were in Melbourne when you came across the Nodron through your vegan friend who yes. was into punk. Yes. And at that time, you were doing lots of comedy stuff, so were you quite well established at when you first started out in the comedy scene in Melbourne?
1: I guess, you know, I, I started very early, so I, I really wanted to be an actor, that's what I wanted to do at high school, and then this this competition called Class Clowns came up, which the comedy Melbourne Comedy Festival runs, where basically it's you know it's workshops and a competition for kids in high school who want to have a crack at either stand-up or sketch comedy. So I did it when I was 14, just because I was like, this is another chance to perform. I was doing a lot of like musicals and theatre and stuff at the time, and... And loved getting attention, uh, because I don't know why. My parents raised me right, but for some reason there's something missing where I just uh, need people (laughs) to look at me and like me. You got a
2: taste of attention and it just wasn't enough.
1: It wasn't enough. It's a drug. Mm. Um, Yeah, so I just had a crack at Class Clowns and sort of did well, I guess. I was doing public speaking at the same time as well, so I was kind of comfortable on a stage doing stuff. So I, I did well in that competition and then... Did that for two years and got to the sort of the national finals of those competitions, and then in 2006, when I was um, uh, 16, I did raw comedy, which is sort of the open mic competition that uh, for, for adults, which uh, which yeah, which and the festival runs as well.
2: Yeah, that's a big turning point in your life because there was a, a certain somebody at that <laughs> at that performance that you were doing mm.
1: called. Chris Scadden, <laughs> I was I was like
2: program manager. Triple, dot, dot,
1: Triple J, J man. I was going to yes. give
2: him a nickname, but I was like, we're not even on those terms at all. Why Scadzi. would I? Yeah, <laughs>
1: Yes. And and
2: so this guy this guy came up to you after your performance, and what did he say?
1: Well, it wasn't directly afterwards, but yeah, he, he did hit me up after um, he was in the crowd. Uh, you know, Triple J supports Raw, which is which is awesome. I think I think that's a really good thing for the station to be doing. And uh, he just sort of sounded me out a little bit, asked me if I'd done any radio, what music I liked. You know, clearly yeah, I thought that I was funny, which is very nice of him. And uh, so I mentioned, oh yeah, I'm doing this community radio station with uh, show with a guy called uh, Alex Dyson on Three Way FM in Warrnambool.
2: Three Way FM.
1: The... We didn't know that's dirty at the time. We were young and innocent, all right? It was like the 50s. It was a wonderful, sweet time. I
2: don't blame you. You didn't name the radio station. Some other sicko did. Some it's fine. Some other weirdo, yeah. And so you gave him a cassette tape. And it was 2006, so I was, I'm thinking cassette <laughs> tapes were a bit passe then.
1: Well, I didn't know anything about audio technology. That's the thing. Like, we, we had no idea what the hell we were doing on that show. There were like egg, egg cartons lining the wall to, to soundproof. The you're kidding. That's FM. fantastic. That's the level you deal you with. You yeah.
2: first. If yeah. you're going to broadcast from your home egg cartons is what you need to egg stock up on. The hard
1: tip. You know, we had to pay to be on the... Sta- you had to pay to be a member to then present a show on the station. And, uh, you know, it was wonderful because we were left alone we just got to do whatever we wanted and we thought we were funny and our friends listened. It was having a fun time. So we taped that, yeah, taped that onto a cassette. Halfway through the hour, I had to say on the radio, Mum, please turn the cassette over now at home. I mean, this, this is the level you're dealing with.
2: Oh, that's fantastic. And then I we love sent that. that in
1: and... Uh, you know, I'm sure they were listening going, like, this is awful, but you can tell that these two guys like each other and find each other funny, and there are moments where they <laughs> might be amusing, so um, let's give them a crack and, and sort of train them up a bit. So
2: you and Alex were babies together. You were you were baby bros.
1: We were. We met uh, when we were still in the uterus. Our mums were in nursing mothers together in Warnable, and uh, yeah, very close family friends, and, and uh, his young sister's the same age as me, and um, we went through primary school together, we went to different high schools, but also did a lot of... Um, amateur musical theatre together. <laughs> Again, oh. losing indie cred by the minute. Yep. But, Sorry, i got
2: to kick you out of the studio now. Yeah, that's it's, it. uh You just went past a threshold and can't no return.
1: I was cons- on the long list of, of songs that I brought in. I, I, re- I did have something from a musical that I was going to bring in, but I thought you wouldn't see for it. Oh, what was it, it
2: going to be? It's
1: a song called For Now, which is the final song for Avenue Q, uh, the musical, which sort of... That would have been great. It would have been great. It is a wonderful song. People go away and list- look that up. It's... It's, again, another lovely song that is funny, but it also presents a nice philosophy about life, about how all the good things and all the bad things in your life are only temporary. Deep. Yeah. It was very deep, but, you know, with puppets and <laughs> swearing. <laughs> Just to soften the blow of <laughs> yeah. all of that
2: de- deepness, I guess.
1: That's the genius of, of that show and musicals generally, I think. You yeah. know, there's, they're big fun spectacles, but at the heart there's also probably a message about stuff.
2: So doing a radio show with your best friend, one of your best friends, I guess, mm. Is that good? Is that Does it make it easier or does it make it harder to have your lives and, and your relationship put together on the radio? I mean, like, with your friends, you tend to be a little bit unprofessional. <laughs> does that translate on the radio?
1: I think, like, anything that was good and bad. I mean, I love Alex. He's, he's a wonderful person. He's really funny. He makes me laugh like nobody else. And, uh, you know, yes, I mean, going through breakfast radio, the breakfast radio circus at such a young age put pressure on us at times, but there was also this constant thing where we just like look at each other every now and again and be like, we are so lucky to be here. <laughs> this is awesome. This is, how do, how the hell do we get here? Yeah, um, I guess the
2: breakfast show is like the holy grail of all gigs for a comedian as well. I mean, Alex, is he a comedian in his time off?
1: He done a lot of like, sketch comedy, like review law. He, he went through uni and, and sort of did the, the reviews at university as well. And, um, uh, you know, as I say, he yeah, did this musical thing as well and was always very funny on stage. Um, and conversationally, he's funny. He was always a very, the funniest guy to party.
2: We'll chat a bit more about your breakfasty times in a second, but we've got a track to take from Elton John versus Pennell. I love how, this record. How does well, this happen?
1: Well, this is amazing because Pennell got... Elton John just loves Pennell and gave the boys access to his back catalogue to make this record. So he's taking the master tapes of all Elton John's back catalogue and whacking them together to make new music. Um... And I got to see Elton John. He, people might remember it must be must have been last year. He toured and you know it was him at a piano for two hours. Incredible, playing all the hits, loving it, amazing times. <laughs> and then everyone thinks it's the end of the concert. Excuse me. And then as you know, this is at City Entertainment Center. So all these people who have been loving all these songs that they remember from their youth are standing up to walk out. And then Elton John says, "No, no, don't go anywhere." Panow come out. Nick Littlemore is is out there, and they set up this whole thing. It takes them a little while to get everything set up. People are confused about what's happening. And then they leap into the hits from this this record and people were confused. They didn't know what was happening. And I was at the back just loving it because that was just such a statement from Elton John to say, screw all you people. This isn't nostalgia. I'm an artist who's still making interesting stuff now. I want to challenge myself and my audience and make new, different stuff. And I think the new stuff he's making is really good.
2: Wondrous. All right. And this one is called Sad?
1: Yes. But it's sad. quite happy.
2: Yeah, exactly. Oh. Not quite fitting. Dancing so hard in here,
1: yeah! What a tune, eh? But then also crying—that's that's the <laughs> track that plays at three thirty a.m. when you haven't picked anyone up at the club and you're just standing there and you're dancing, but tears are rolling down your face, and you have a gin and tonic.
2: <laughs> <laughs> gin does that to people. Yes, I indeed. hear it ruins families. Oh dear. Oh, dear. Well, um, you know, not. I don't know if this happens very often, but do comedians often date other comedians?
1: Yes. Yes, certainly. That definitely happens. I mean, it, it's a pretty uh, small community, I guess, in uh, in the world of comedy. And it is, you know, a bunch of misfits and people who didn't fit in very well in high school and have something wrong in their heads all coming together and loving each other very much. And generally, the, the uh, Australian comedy scene is very positive and stuff. But, um, yeah, you certainly have people who meet each other and and connect in a way, you know, that I guess happens in all sorts of different industries, but, um...
2: Yeah, and that happened to you. You met Josh Thomas through, Thomas through the comedy scene, yeah?
1: Pretty much, yes. Yeah, yeah. I was I was a fan of his, actually, I, which, yes, again, is also weird, but I was a big fan of his comedy, and the way he did comedy, the way he talked about him, himself and his life on stage it really connected with me, and I, I think he's hilarious, and he's a wonderful person, and, um... Yes, we did. We fell in love. Oh, yeah.
2: Oh. Oh. <sighs> And so you were dating... Mainly for the dog.
1: <laughs> he, When I met him, he just got Johnny's dog as a puppy. And I was yeah. like, I need to spend more time with that dog. Guess I'll hook up with this guy.
2: I think he knew that deep down. <laughs> he was like, if I get this dog, then Tom will date me.
1: It's the way he broke up with me. He thought, look, he's taking away time from John, so I've got to finish this. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough.
2: So so was it was it easy having a relationship that was quite out in the open? Because, I mean, Josh's comedy routine, some of his comedy routines were based around his relationship with you. Mm. Is it, easy to be that publicly in a relationship that that is, you know, the butt of jokes, I guess.
1: Yeah, it was, a, it was a weird time. Initially, when we got together, you know, Josh still hadn't come out. He was still touring. Oh, excuse me. Uh, he was still touring a bunch of jokes about his experiences with women, and I think he wanted to kind of finish the life of those jokes and then and then sort of come out and you know, when we got together, he was really starting to blow up. Talking about your generation was just kicking off, and you know, he was really going to start to be a, a, a face that was um, that was everywhere and and was winning over a whole bunch of fans, uh, and rightly so. So, there was a point where our relationship was extremely secret, and then it, it did become public. And he wrote a show about coming out in our relationship. I sub- subsequently wrote a show about um, our breakup.
2: Wow! I, I think I know,
1: I know, I know, so, I know. But it felt could, right at the time. Yeah.
2: You can't extricate your relationship from your comedy routines, really.
1: No. I mean, my, my first stand-up show was about coming out, and, and I talked very uh, honestly, I guess, about that experience, about some gross sexual things. For some reason, I'm I'm fascinated by that because I don't think we talk about that stuff enough openly, and mm. there's a lot of comedy there. Whenever there is awkwardness, there is comedy. And Definitely. sitting friends and family down and telling them that you like penises is inherently awkward, and so is it should <laughs> be mine for comedy gold. Um, Although it's also tricky, you know, just making sure you're not doing, you know, because every gay comic has that story as well in some form. And you don't maybe just want to be another one of those. But, uh, yeah, that's that's what Josh and I, you know, it's probably what we, uh, attracted us to each other. You know, we had that similar sensibility of being extremely honest in our comedy and just saying, talking about how it was. So, inevitably, that resulted in uh, in two stand-up shows about, uh, about our time together. But I think we've done pretty well, actually. We've managed to be pretty friendly post that which I think is pretty impressive. Yeah,
2: Especially <laughs> considering that Josh Thomas was touring a, a show about your relationship post-breakup. We
1: broke up, yeah. That was all good for him. We That's broke up halfway through man. that tour, so he had to sort of tell this lovely story, and then he'd he go, oh, yeah, now we broke it up. Can you so, tell us, sorry? Oh, Sorry,
2: yeah. Can you tell us a bit about you coming out, being from Warrnambool, and um, coming out Wait, as From an, where? Warn- Warnambul. <laughs> when you when you're, when you're
1: it's not fun, is it? It's not fun to say. Why? Warr- why can't they
2: just put like an A after the war? And so it's like war and amble. That makes sense. You
1: could say the bull. The double, double. double. Quite a few people had caps in Warrnambool with the bull written on them. You're kidding. Yeah, they were. Not That's very
2: fantastic. Cool. <laughs>
1: uh, I mean, yeah, Warrnambool. Is, you know, thirty thousand people. So it's not in the middle of nowhere. It is a, a pretty. You know, it's a city, and and you know there are openly gay people around there. It's tough working. You know, growing up in high school, big mm-hmm. big footy culture. Gay equals bad. So you get that a lot. And, and um, you know, my friends were probably were homophobic in theory. So they would say things were gay and obviously being gay was stupid. When I came out to them face to face, they were lovely and supportive. And I've been extremely lucky that way. Yeah, I think
2: our whole generation, your generation, my generation, whatever generation we're in, who knows. Actually, you're in my generation. You're, 20, you're 24. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So like everyone had to get out of that that thing where we just go, oh, this is so gay.
1: Yes, totally. I still fight it. Yeah, it's, yeah.
2: It's really sad.
1: Like, still there, and people who tell yeah. me there's no difference, I just think you need to think a little bit harder about it and, exactly. and imagine how that language affects closeted gay kids who might be hearing you. But um, so yeah. What
2: was it like coming out to your family?
1: It was just extremely awkward and and difficult to just say those words in a row. I knew that they would be okay, and I, they probably had a very strong suspicion. I at, at one point I was in an anti-homophobia group that's set up by the council, but I still wasn't out. So when you're going off to meetings <laughs> based around the idea of treating gay people better, probably your son's gay there. <laughs> when I came out to my mum, you know, I, I you know, they were very lovely, they gave me a hug, and then my mum went back to her room and brought back a book that she purchased recently called My Child is Gay. So had a bit of an inkling, did a bit of research. Good on her. You know. Yeah. Looked up some, um, <laughs> some, some research. Did, did, did she on?
2: say that she learnt anything particular from that book? I mean, like I you know. open it up and it says, yep. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Deal with it. <laughs> I should read that book. It'd be interesting. Yeah, But that's so sweet. And that is so my parents, you know, my parents, my mum's a teacher and my dad's uh, what used to be a teacher and now works for the the government. They're they're lovely, decent people and that's so them. They're such nerds that they would buy a book (laughs) to try and deal with the situation. (laughs) Like
2: everybody's got to self-educate. It's new terrain.
1: No, it could certainly be a lot worse. But no, my my, my brother's two best friends are a gay couple and uh, I've had a very sweet run. So whenever I think about it, I just think in comparison to other friends I've had who were kicked out of home or who still don't talk about it. You know, you know, people who their parents know, but they're not crazy about it. So if it's brought up, the conversation's changed or there is this just unspoken understanding. I feel really lucky to not be in that situation because I just I couldn't live my life like that. I my family's important to me and I want my parents to meet partners that I have. I think you know that's an important part of my life. So, um, yeah, I'm very lucky that way.
2: Yeah, and we'll talk more about this in a second, but we've got a track from Sun Kill Moon to take now. What's it called?
1: All right, prepare to cry during your lunch break, everybody. It's off Benji.
2: You just, I can't even... It's
1: making me cry every day, this this record. I think it's so beautiful, and I'm um, very lucky I came across it. My friend recommended that record to me. Um, and this song is I Can't Live Without My Mother's Love, which I guess, which is very appropriate. And, yeah, my mum is a wonderful person. I feel very lucky to have her as my mum. And I sent this to her when I heard it. I sent the thing to her to to mum and she she said she shared a tear as a mother and a daughter herself, so uh yeah, I hope people who haven't heard this yet enjoy it too. <laughs>
4: I can't live without my mother's love. I can live flying around at an impossible pace. I can live with the bad etiquette that's falling on this place. I can live with anything you got to throw in my face, but I
2: into the windsock, oh. short-circuiting, Un- all of the stuff in here.
1: Shout-outs to the mums. Shout-outs to the mums.
2: Tom Ballard loves your mum.
1: And his <laughs> mum. <laughs> Don't put it like that. <laughs> Say hi to your mum for me. What? Oh, gross.
2: All right, we've got Tom Ballard a <laughs> studio comedian, uh, newly ex-presenter of Breakfast <laughs> Show, Tom and Alex on Triple J, done many things in his life. And, and yeah, philanthropist, no. mother-lover. <laughs>
1: Again, the way you say that, there's something wrong with that. Yep, but yeah, but anyway, here we
2: are. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't criticize the way I say my things. Okay, <laughs> everyone, uh,
1: please listen to that record, Benji. It'll, uh, it'll break. Yeah, heart. definitely. In you need, you
2: need a good, a good time in a dark room with mm. Benji. Maybe some. tea. Except
1: for the last song, where he talks about just how he's friends with Ben Gibbard, and yeah. there's a stream of consciousness <laughs> yeah. story about. Little crab cakes and stuff. Very odd ending to that. I think
2: that's kind of the scre- stream of consciousness thing. It's like yeah. all of these deep things, and then you just sometimes find yourself thinking about completely random crap, like your yeah. mates Wrote a song and about crabs. It. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
5: all
2: right, so that track that we had just there was called I Can't Live Without My Mother's Love, and it's we we played that because of your mum and also because of being gay, and we have, <laughs> we have a, a thing... To not not necessarily plug, but to <laughs> suggest it uh, from the Fringe Comedy Festival. You've been doing a, a thing called taxis and rainbows and hatred, and can you tell us mm. why that, that came up?
1: Well, this is yeah, this is uh, so the new new, new stand up show that uh, that I'll be uh, having a crack at, at at the Fringe, and I guess <laughs> I'm having a
2: crack, at, we'll just give it a go. We'll, have,
1: well, we're just having a pass. It's at the Fringe, so if it's not funny, it's theatre. Okay, <laughs> keep that in mind if you're coming along and sitting in the audience. Going, this isn't that funny. No, I'm telling a story in that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess, uh, you know, my, my, my last show early this year was, was about a family holiday went on and I had a slideshow and, and played, um, you know, had a, talked about this big trip that my me and my family went on and it was great fun, but it was very sort of proppy or a bit more theatrical. So this, this show is much more just coming down to me talking on a microphone. And I guess... To me, it's it's a bit of a follow-on from that first show I did about me coming out and, and you know, the big issues of being gay, like gay marriage and, you know, coming out, blah, blah, blah. Uh, to me, I just find it's much more interesting to talk about the everyday instances of homophobia and just, you know, I'm, I've come out and I've been lovely and supported and my life is fine, but then also just falling in love with someone of trying to find a partner is difficult no matter if mm-hmm. you're gay, straight or bi or transgender or anything, you know, so... Yeah. Um, being lonely sucks, no matter no matter who you're looking for. Basically, so I guess you know that's that's just a uh, the, the smaller version of, of of this show and and what I'm trying to to get at. And a couple of homophobic incidences I've had in taxis,
2: but it's all funny.
1: It's all funny, hilarious. It's and, the funniest and you have thing had ever.
2: Homophobic incidences in taxis.
1: Well, I just take a lot of cabs. I don't drive myself, so I I just find myself taking taxis quite a bit. And okay. I love connecting with the taxi and and having a wonderful genuine moment with someone, and because you're just driving around and you're killing time, and you we you find yourself talking about anything. But yes, you know I think because of cultural differences sometimes, but also just some people's attitudes, and maybe because I don't present as particularly effeminate or gay, some people think I got in a cab once and Mardi Gras day and. <laughs> and, and taxi driver implied that all gay people should be sent to their own island that they can pollute oh, for what? themselves. So, you know, it's those kind of sweet reminders. That...
2: And, and do you, in that circumstance, did you say to him,
1: <sighs> No, all right, be I just want to to the airport. I'll go. <laughs> I said, just put on Smooth FM and let's just drive to the airport. And, uh, and, I, and maybe that's cowardly of me, I don't know, but to make things more awkward in this cab and, you know, to not necessarily okay. change, I'm not going to change his opinion anytime soon, but... You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's actually those little things, I think, that, that drip into a, a person who's, you know, gay or bi or, or, or lesbian on a daily basis. It's actually that stuff rather than getting legislation through the parliament necessarily. It's, it's kind of those little instances when you, when you come face to face with with things that just sort of chip away at you at a bit. Yeah, not um,
2: being accepted, just yeah, in general.
1: Just, oh, you know, I, I picked up a guy once and we were driving home from Newtown and making out in the back of the cab and the taxi driver told us to stop. And maybe he says that to all the couples in the back, but I'm pretty sure not. I'm pretty sure it was because of you know we were both dudes that he wasn't happy with it. Mm. And at the end, I was going to say, "Are you sure you want me to pay? Because this is gay money. You want gay money? It's gay cash. Are you sure you Because <laughs> I gay earned it with my gay job. So are you sure you want gay money? But I didn't say that at all.
5: Oh.
3: <laughs> Chicken
1: out. I gave him twenty. 20- it was eighty dollars. I gave him twenty bucks, so I gave him a tip.
3: Oh, you. <laughs> You have I know. To do I got it. You're
2: just too nice. I'm too nice. Yeah, yeah mm. too permissive. <laughs> <laughs> and you're a Beyond Blue ambassador. So why why'd that come up? How did you end up being a Beyond Blue ambassador?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, initially it was wasn't over happy terms. I guess I came to Beyond Blue. Jeff Kennett, who's the guy, who set it up. Former Premier of Victoria wrote a very dodgy opinion piece for the Herald Sun about how. The best possible way a child can be raised is in a house of with a with a husband and a wife and a mother and a father, and uh, I organized a little online petition to try and get him to retract those comments and think a little bit more about what you know what he's saying. And as as the head of Beyond Blue, a mental health organisation, we had a meeting and it was all good. And then you know Beyond Blue is doing a, an awesome effort, I think, of addressing issues surrounding mental health for, for queer youth. So I'm very happy to do anything that I can to, to help out with that. And and um, yeah, I don't know. Hopefully, it helps some way. Mm. Mm. So,
2: so Jeff Kennett wrote an opinion piece, and then you went ahead and wrote an opinion piece recently about Ian Thorpe coming out. Mm. So, you know, to me, I was just like, I don't really care. What did it mean to you?
1: Well, it meant a lot. I mean, I think you know, particularly if you um, work at FBI or live in the inner recent suburbs of Sydney, and I'm guilty of this too. You know, we we forget we have so many gay friends, and you know, being gay is is whatever, and so it is easy to look at a, a story like Ian Thorpe and think, you know, who cares? Let's all move on. But that's actually pushing stuff under the carpet a little bit in its own way. And if I was a closeted fifteen-year-old and I saw on the news that Ian Thorpe won every gold medal ever and was an out and proud, you know, gay dude, that means a lot to me. Or, or I'm not saying that Ian should have come out earlier, but I'm saying, you know, kids watching that that interview early this year, you know, would have meant a lot to them as well. So, um, you know, if people don't want to talk about their private lives. I think that's fine, but you can't release an autobiography two years ago and 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 flatly deny that you're gay because that implies that there's something to be ashamed of there, so yeah, some
2: sponsorship to lose at the very least, yes, yeah,
1: yeah, you know of course there's and there's there was some dodgy stuff around that interview itself, like maybe he was paid for it, and maybe it was some kind of weird cross promo for Channel Ten's coverage of the Commonwealth games, all so, oh, that's a bit weird and gross, and mm. I think any actor who you know takes a fake girlfriend to the logies, I think you're you're lying to yourself and you're you're not doing everything you could, and that's a bit dodgy. But, yeah, as I say, ultimately, it's it's more an opportunity, I think. There's not a responsibility for people in the public eye to come out. There's an opportunity there for you to make life better for, for kids who are in your position, You know, who, who whose position you were in when, when you were closeted yourself.
2: Actually, do you think you've been able to do that through doing The Breakfast Show for so many years? To actually kind of... I mean, you're, you're broadcasting to people way out in regional areas and, you know, being part of a duo and being a gay presenter. Do you think that that is actually been a source of comfort for people who might be far-flung areas and, and queer and kind of hiding it?
1: I hope so. Yeah. I mean, my my biggest thing is that I just, I don't want to be, I'm proud of who I am, but I, gay, being gay is not the most interesting thing about me. And so I hope that in a way, if, if on that show we could talk very conversationally and I could talk about my life honestly as a gay person then then that's actually more uh, you know I don't want to be banging a drum every morning about it because yeah. that's just not my life and that's or making
2: it uncontroversial is probably the best way yeah
1: exactly yeah. yeah that's that's what I was going for anyway and even in the triple j audience there was elements of homophobia that, that again that kind of postmodern homophobia where people would text in and say "Tom we don't care if you're gay all right stop banging about on about your girlfriend or uh, your your boyfriend rather" I've never like, heard the
2: word postmodern homophobia before. Let's just think, dwell on that for a moment.
1: That's my <laughs> oh. thing. That's what I think it is. It's this thing where it's like, I'm accepting of gay people, so stop talking about your boyfriend. You're like, well, no, I'm not making a point by talking about my boyfriend. I'm just, I'm telling this story. And if I was straight, I would talk about my girlfriend and you wouldn't text in about it. Mm. So, you know, there's that there's this element of like, oh, I, I don't care about gay people, but I just don't want it you know, shoved in my face every day. It's like, well, you're, you're perfectly happy for straight people to talk about their partners all the time, so... Right. Anyway.
2: Anyway. <laughs> anyway, indeed. Anyway. So, we've got a track by Scott Edgar and the Universe, a name I hadn't heard until today. And who are they?
1: You may know Scott Edgar as Scott from Tripod, um, who are one of my favourite Australian comedy acts ever. They have this show called Tosswinkle the Pirate a few years ago, which was the show that inspired me to want to do hour-long comedy. It's a work of genius. It's on DVD if people want to get it. Um, but he also has this lovely side project, this folky project called uh, Scott, Edgar and the Universe. And this song, Back to the Sea, is uh, is magic.
2: Is yeah. it funny? Is it is no, it a humorous...
1: It was very weird. When I first <laughs> heard it, I was like, I can't, I'm waiting for a punchline because it's Scott's. you're so used to Scott's voice being funny and a the, the, the punchline of the song coming. But um, if you give it some time and listen to it enough, I think you, uh, you'll appreciate it for what it is, yeah.
2: On FBI 94.5, my guest today, Tom Ballard, and here's a track from Scott Edgar and the Universe. <laughs>
0: Every hurt is a lesson in disguise of your wife 94.5.
2: 94.5. Got a totally unfunny track there <laughs> from Scott Edgar in the Universe.
1: Every every lesson in a, every hurdle in life is a lesson if you're wise enough to learn it. And that's yes. when I say that it sounds cheesy, but in the context of that song, I think it's nice.
2: Yeah, it always happens that way. Mm. You know how, like, I mean, back when you had like MSN Messenger and you'd put <laughs> just, like lyrics in your name.
1: I never did that. Oh, that's I the don't... lamest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs>
2: I'm so ashamed. What lyrics? Oh, every every song that I thought was meaningful. Oh,
1: that's adorable. Yeah,
2: and then when you take them out of context, it's just like that's really lame. Why are you? I don't even. But you've got the melody in your head.
1: Imagine there's no countries. (laughs) Sand. Smiley face.
2: (laughs) It just sounds like pretty high. (laughs) (laughs) That way. And uh, so you you started off in community radio, and then you worked your way up to do the breakfast show on Triple J. I slept
1: with a lot of people. I slept with, a lot of the oh. little, with the right people at the right time.
2: Please give me it. your list. I want your black <laughs> book. How do I get there? And so, so can you tell us about the good times, like your favorite interviews, for example, from the breakfast era?
1: Oh, man. Like, what I'm... are the
2: peaks? Because you, you have so many, like, what, 1,179 shows under your belt oh, my or God. something like that. Yeah, oh. I, know, I know my numbers. Yeah,
1: you do. <laughs> um, yeah, something like that. I mean, yeah, it was insane, and uh, you know, people are rightly would would very quickly tell me that you know th- what an amazing job. Very lucky to be there. The people you got to meet was was incredible, and and forming genuine relationships and friendships with, with certain certainly a lot of Australian artists who are, who are regularly on our show, um, someone like, you know, Josh Pike or, or Sarah Blasco, you know, I, I think I'm lucky enough to count as, as friends by this point, which is which means a lot to me. Um, oh God, name dropping, that was lame. Uh, but something like making Ben Folds laugh in an interview w- meant more to me than anything else. He's a, my musical hero, I think is incredible. I didn't choose one of his songs for this because I, I always choose Ben Folds for, for stuff like this. so
2: Stuff like this? There's nothing like no, there's
1: this. There's nothing like this unique. at all. No, this is unique, 100%. <laughs> 100%. (laughs) um, (laughs) And so
2: do you remember what you said that made Ben Folds
1: laugh? Well, he was eating. We sort of had this running joke. The first time we talked to him on the phone, he was on the phone and he was eating during the interview and we (laughs) pretended to get angry about that. And then he was doing it again the second time we talked to him on the phone. And when he came in for Like A Version, we put out a little platter of food for him to eat (laughs) (laughs) before he went into his cover. So I think he liked that. Um, Yeah, that was amazing. And then there were a bunch of comedians that we got to talk to, Robin Williams, uh, Billy Connolly,
2: Um, Was that surreal talking to Robin Williams?
1: It was. You know, I mean, there's there's these sort of artificial junket style interviews where they're sitting in a hotel room and you go there and you get to talk to them for eight minutes and you Mm. have to ask them a few questions that you know they've answered a million times and sometimes you see them a bit dead behind their eyes and fair enough. So you try and do something a bit different there. And, you know, I try to communicate to these people, I'm a comedian and I'm a really big fan of your work, but I also don't want to make you feel creepy and it's boring radio to just hear someone talk about how much they like someone else. So, Um, yes, doing stuff like that. I got to talk to Chris Rock on the phone once. Um, Stephen Merchant was was huge for me as well. And... um, and then also things we, we we made that I was really proud of, like the Good As Friday broadcasts at the Comedy Festival, you know, that kind of something we did the first year we started and then kind of grew. We were filling the Melbourne Town Hall and we got to bring people three hours of free live comedy with, with awesome people who were performing at the Melbourne Comedy Festival. That was awesome to me. Um, you know, we we won an ARIA, which was insane that is and insane. a nice How thing. How you managed
2: to win an ARIA <laughs> as a breakfast show?
1: Well, I mean, you know, like Happy and he'd won them for their highlight CDs before, but thank God they didn't release anything in that year because they they totally <laughs> would have beaten us. Like we just we just hit the the shitty year, you know. <laughs> But I'm proud of that. I'm proud of, you know, the parties we threw for people and um, some, some fun ideas we had, you know. And
2: your dad's DJing 20, your 21st?
1: <laughs> that was pretty great. My That's 21st great. was one of the best nights of my life. I feel extremely lucky to have had that. And, um, and stuff like the charity shows we did where we got the listeners to give us stupid challenges. We did the challenges and then those people had to pay money to, like, the Syrian refugee crisis or whatever. You know, having stupid, silly fun and for a good cause, that was kind of the, the sweet spot.
6: Yeah. So
2: do you reckon that you know, is there anything in breakfast radio that has made you a better stand-up comedian? Can you see a connection there? I
1: um I think so. I mean I think, you know, you know, getting the most out of stories is important. Um that's a big part of breakfast radio. If things happen to you, you know, really picking them apart. Because eventually, you know, your life becomes just being on breakfast radio. So when the smallest things happen to you where you feel like there could be a, a story or an angle there, then you're gonna pick that apart. That's really good for stand up. Um it's it's more for other media, I think, and just figuring out you know, how people listen to things and making things as interesting as possible and cutting out all the boring stuff and, um, you know, always listening to yourself or when you're writing something, thinking about, you know, what is the most interesting way of getting in and out of this and the best angle on that that kind of thing. And, you know, radio is so beautiful because you just have audio, so you have to think of new, interesting ways to mix the things you're saying and other sound effects or music or, you know, ways you can put that stuff together, something like This American Life or or the... What's the FBI show? Uh, all the best, all the best, all the best. I love uh, very much. You know, you know, creative radio is really interesting to me, and I really hope that I keep doing radio. I'd love to keep doing stuff with with Triple J, or you know, doing comedy focused radio. I, I really love that stuff. But um, yeah, the Monday to Friday breakfast radio thing is is a slog, and four years was enough for me.
2: Tom Ballard, he's over it. <laughs> and he's in the studio I'm with doing studio. other things
1: <laughs> watch my TV show please everyone watch that please
2: yeah if, you, if you've yet to hear of it, a reality check is Tom Ballard's new show it's been uh, airing on ABC airing can we say about TV broadcasting airing yeah, yeah. Airing. broadcasting over the past three weeks how's it going I'm, I'm loving it
0: I
1: love, I love it. I love working on it. I th- I'm really proud of it. It's an amazing team. I think we're turning up about, ama- you know, really interesting stuff. And and the panels have been great. And, uh, um, you know, I mean, it's such a weird time in TV generally. You know, ratings are nothing like they they once were. Um, and particularly with something that, you know, you can watch whenever you like. You you were saying you don't have a, a TV, off air. So and of course, most people my age would. I view this show whenever it suits them. Exactly.
2: I think that was the same problem with things like Hungry Beast. Hungry Beast was an amazing, amazing show. show. Do you yeah. remember Hungry Beast? Yeah, totally. Phenomenal. Yeah. But the thing is, no one watches when they're told to watch. They watch when they so desire through whatever YouTube, like, yeah. through I view, whatever. And totally. then things things like that end up going out the window. So... You it's know, true. How do you get I, people to watch?
1: Well, I mean, you know, the same thing is happening with with Josh's show. Please Like Me, you know, best Australian comedy on the telly at the moment, um, and and it's been lost a little bit, you know, because it's um, because people would are probably viewing it whenever they like, and you know we have so much, so many options now. People can Netflix as many comedies as they like if mm. they break the law (laughs) go rebels go Robin Hood um but you know I can't worry about any of that and that's the biggest lesson I think I've learned over the past four years doing breakfast radio we have so much feedback coming in and and doing stand-up comedy and reading reviews it's just like you've got to throw it all away um there's this George Lucas quote that said there are creators and destroyers in the world and and I just I just want to create I just want to make a lot of stuff and hopefully some people like it and if they don't then whatever I'll do another thing
2: <laughs> Not a destroyer.
1: Yes. It's nice to know. Yes.
2: Especially as you're in a studio that may fall apart at any moment, <laughs> as you may have noticed with your microphone being <laughs> unable oh, to set up. Right.
1: I love it. Ramshackle charge. Yes. Yes. Donate, everyone. Become yeah. members.
2: You know, pe- people like Tom Ballard have their roots in uh, community radio and then they end up keeping people all over Australia company later on and then doing great comedy and stuff like that. So it's, you know, worth being part of that if you want to uh, support FBI and you're not already a supporter, you can always go into the website and there's a supporter tab. It's all very obvious. We try to make that stuff quite focal on the website <laughs> for obvious reasons. <laughs> and I don't know whether we should go to a song and come back. I think we're running out of time. It looks like, yeah, we're at 12.58. We're going to have one, oh my one God. more song.
1: All right. Let's go to a song. It's- Oh, it's dear. better and more interesting than anything we could say. So we
2: could have gone on forever. We could. We should start a podcast.
1: <laughs> Is yeah. that An offer. I have a lot of free time. Yay! <laughs>
2: all right, the Tom and Ash
1: yeah. podcast
2: coming up soon to an iTunes near you. <laughs> but yeah, we do have time for one more song. Thank you so much, Tom Ballard, for coming on the show today. It's Thank been you. great having all of your tunes on out of the box, which you know we we. Bring songs on the air that you love, you have stories about or you know they mean something to you, and you can listen back to this show if you miss anything on on demand on the FBIradio.com website. And uh, one last song, so it's is it Gavin Osborne, shall Gavin we? Osborne,
1: yeah, let's go with this guy. Uh, British singer-songwriter, he's done some work with Daniel Kitson, who, who people might be familiar with, uh, who's my favourite comedian ever of all time, uh, writes really lovely, um, heartfelt songs about lots of different stuff. This is from a live album he did called In the Twee Small Hours, I think. Um, uh, so it's him performing live on stage. It's a song called Left Side from My Right, which is about not knowing a lot about politics, but knowing thinking, you know, what, what is right and what isn't. It's a political protest song that isn't preachy and so I think that's a pretty amazing effort and, and I really like it.
2: That's Tom Ballard. My name's been Ash Bertabez and we've got Gavin Osborne on your radio today. FBI 94.5. Thanks so much. Thanks.
6: Never been to Russia It's only girls I've overthrown Never met a communist in my living room at home And I've never read Das Kapital deep into the night But I'll always know my left side from my right And I've never trashed McDonald's but their burgers make me sick Even when I want to, well I can never find a brick I just sit here writing songs when I should get on out and fight Know my left side from my right These days, it always seems the same to me Cultural stability can't be solved by my TV But I know I can play my part by loving you Yeah, that's a start I was only two years old when Thatcher came to power just old enough to eat on my own and tell my sweet from sour But now I think I'm old enough to sit and sing this song Cos I'll always know my right side from my wrong And I've never held a banner for the men on the miners' strike Cos in the nightmare of the 80s I just rode my mountain bike But if you trace back those tyre tracks you'll find me to be true I'll always know my red side from my blue These days it always seems the same to me Cultural stability can't be solved by my TV But I know I can play my part by just loving you Yeah, that's a start Never set up a trade union But I've been to the union bar Listen to all those students discussing life after the Tsar You know it's better to try and lose Than to not try and still fail But there's always one that buys the Daily Mail So I've never been to Russia It's only girls I've overthrown Never met a communist in my living room at home And I've never read Das Kapital Deep into the night I'll always know my left side from my right I'll always know my left side
0: Meet people through their music with Ash Bertabez on FBI.